Welcome to Preach the Word Podcast. My name is Ashton McDonald, and I am your host. I have a very special episode today. I'm going back in the archives to a sermon that was shared by Reverend Seth Coward on November 14th of 2019. The scripture reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 25, and the sermon is titled, The Religion of Convenience. I want to say thank you to everyone that has recommended or shared the podcast to a new listener. It greatly helps us grow the audience and put these episodes in the ear of someone that needs to hear the preached word. If you would like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at preachthewordpodcast at gmail.com. I hope that you'll enjoy today's episode as Brother Seth shares his heart about the religion of convenience. Thank you for listening. I'd like to begin our text in 1 Kings 12 and 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein, and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in, and, and he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I just want to preach about the religion of convenience. The kingdom of Israel had reached the pinnacle. The kingdom had only seen three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, and yet so quickly did they progress to a state of national independence. Religion united them and gave them one heart to build the temple of Solomon, to worship Jehovah. Economy was doing good because 1 Kings 10 and 27 says the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. Israel's military was more advanced than it had ever been because 1 Kings 4 and 26 says Solomon had 4,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. King, the, uh, King Solomon's foreign policy was of great success because 1 Kings 4 and 25 says that Judah and Israel dwelt safely all the days of Solomon. For 40 years he had peace in the nation. All this was a fulfillment of the prophecy that God spoke to David. In 1 Chronicles 17 and 12, He shall build, he your son shall build me a house. 
and I will establish his throne forever. The kingdom of Israel had reached the pinnacle. But history tells of how quickly they uh, traveled the track to the top was followed by a quick fall to the bottom. After Solomon died, the kingdom splintered into two. The two tribes of Judah and the ten tribes of Israel, also known as the northern kingdoms. And this began the long power struggle. Our text picks up by introducing us to the first king over the northern kingdom, Jeroboam. He was Israel's most wicked ruler, Jeroboam the son of Nebat. He became the model of all wicked leadership because every evil ruler after him was compared to him. If a ruler was godly, the scriptures would say, they walked in all the ways of David his father. But if evil, the scriptures would say, they cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Let's look at the character Jeroboam. What exactly did Jeroboam do? What was exactly his great sin? In short, the answer is idolatry. But many rulers instituted a governmental idolatry. What made Jeroboam so significantly evil from all the rest that his name is infamously etched in the history books? Jeroboam feared the throne of David, that it would possess his share of the kingdom. He knew there was a competition for the throne. There was a power struggle going on. So he had to do something to deepen the divide. To finalize that isolation from the, from the rest of the kingdom. And try to undo the prophecy that there will be always someone to sit on the throne of David. Idol worship never did stick long in the kingdom. It would always be stamped out. God would always raise somebody up to stamp it out. So Jeroboam needed a new religion. Jeroboam had to use a different tactic. And he instituted what I call the religion of convenience. I want to preach about the counterfeit of convenience. The commitment of Christianity and the cost of Christ. In verse 28 of our text, the scriptures say, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods. Jeroboam's religion was one of counterfeit. And a counterfeit is not worth uh, worth uh, its image if it did not bear the resemblance of the original. He made his religion of convenience a counterfeit of the true religion of the one true God. In verses 31 and 32 we see the counterfeit of Jeroboam's convenience. He made his own temple in verse 31. He ordained his own priest. He even instituted his own religious feast, which was only one month different from the original feast. He had a counterfeit. There was an altar there still they were sacrificing on. There were still ceremonial practices and rituals that were deeply embedded in the Hebrew people's culture. But it was all offered at not the altar of Yahweh, not in the temple of Solomon, but it was offered at the altar of convenience. Jeroboam's throne was in 
Zion was in competition with the prophetical throne of David. Convenience was in competition with consecration. And the kingdom of Christ has always been threatened by this religion of convenience. And we see this religion of convenience surviving all the way through the history books of modern church age. The first history event in the New Testament church where we see this religion of convenience it appears to us in Acts chapter 5 when all of the apostles and all of the disciples are paying a high cost and they are sacrificing much. We learn of the first church hypocrites. We are told of the first ministry embezzlers. They wanted a more convenient way of gaining status in the community. They wanted to retain their religious appearance, but they wanted to preserve their own convenience. And in Acts 5, we learn of a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. They sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy, privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it in the, at the apostles' feet. They did not pay the high cost of Christ. They wanted a discount revival. Acts, Acts 1 through 4, we learn of the ministry of the Holy Ghost in the early church, the very ascension of Christ in Acts chapter 1, Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, the healing of that, that lame man by the, the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3, and then we see the first governmental assault on the church in Acts chapter 4, as Peter gives that bold statement of faith even in the face of religion and true and the government there. Oh, but in Acts chapter 5 as we see a steady momentum of a work of the Holy Ghost in the church, here's the first convenient worshipers Ananias and Sapphira. They did not want to sacrifice church membership. They wanted to keep their name on the roll. They wanted to keep an affiliation with the church, but they did not want to alter at, offer at the same altar. They wanted to worship at the altar of convenience. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about a sleeping farmer. His workers slept and when they slept the enemy, the devil, sowed these seeds, these tares. And these tares were counterfeits. They did not exert any energy to produce grain. They did not exert any energy to produce anything. They were a counterfeit of the wheat. They were, they were a hindrance to what God in the parable was truly trying to set up because we're all going to the harvest day. And whether you're saved or not, harvest is coming and one day it will be passed. But there's a counterfeit even in this modern hour of folks that want an affiliation with the church. But they love to hear the song about the cross. They love to hear a message about the cross. But don't even insinuate that they have to die on that same cross that they worship their crucified Savior upon. Hey, there is a counterfeit convenience. The high cost that Christ demands, He says in Mark 12 and 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first 
And Matthew says the greatest commandment. A-L-L. There's no room for reservation. There's no room for holding out. There's no room for counterfeit. Christ had two would-be disciples who saw the entourage. They saw all the people following Jesus. And they just knew there's got to be money in ministry somewhere. (laughs) So... Jesus burst their bubble and said, The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And this was a challenge to their inquisition. The challenge was, Do you want to follow me enough to sacrifice inconveniently? Do you want to follow me? Because he didn't kick them out. He didn't deny their application. He didn't send them away. He only told them that you have to be committed. You can't always worship at the altar of convenience. You've got to get up from that altar of convenience and stop preserving your own flesh. And you've got to leave some things in order to follow me. He burst a bubble, that con- that common misconception that it's always going to be prosperous. It's always going to be easy. It's never going to cut against the grain. I'll just follow the other group and multitudes of people. And he also burst the bubble. He said, let the dead bury their dead. Do you want to follow me enough? Are you prepared to eliminate all excuses? and denounce all conflicting aspirations to pick up the cross and follow me? Are you willing to walk away from everybody and every dream that you have and every possession that is conflicting your commitment to God? Because, friend, that is what it takes. There's not a group of elite Christians that sell out and give it all, and they are just the anointed ones, and then the rest of us are just in that outer realm of those who just... They just hold to the theology of Christ, but they don't hold to the cross of Christ. Hey, it's the cross or it's hell. You've got to die on this cross or you'll die in hell. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your whole selves, your body, a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The importance of this has much to do with the point Brother Ralston brought out in his sermon last night. That there was a way to worship God in spirit, but not in outward appearance. There is a way to theologically adhere to the movement, but not really being as when it comes to your, uh, when it comes to the rubber hitting the road, when it comes to you paying the cost, when it comes to you dying on the altar. There's some kind of separation from your spirit being given, but not everything else in your life. But how many knows to be absent from the body for saints is to be present with the Lord? There is a forever union between the spirit of man and the body of man and Paul was exhorting the church of Rome you've got to die on the altar stop preserving your body at the altar of convenience and die to the flesh at the altar of consecration Woo! Jesus said if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yea and his own life also he cannot be my disciples 
And then he says these, he, he gives the last final blow to the nail. And he says, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So which altar are you worshiping at? You're religious, you're at fellowship meeting. You adhere to the Pentecostal doctrine or at least sympathize with it. And you know that there's some kind of truth here or else you wouldn't be gathered here. But maybe nestled among the wheat there's a tear. Oh, I'm not calling you a child of the devil. I don't mean to in the sense of the parable. But what I'm truly saying is this. Don't you want to leave the altar of convenience and pay the cost that Christ demands? Or do you want to settle for a discount revival? Because when Pastor Peter preached the sermon, he said, what price have you given? Oh, that was their chance to repent and pay the rest and give it all. But they puffed out their chest, they buttoned their top button, and they had it all down, and they said, we've paid this and that. But God wanted everything. The sermon's going out. The Spirit is searching. The opportunity has been given. What price have you paid? Jesus has put forth such an example before us of how of what cost to pay. In Matthew 10 and 24, Jesus says the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. He says it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. He says, follow my example. Follow my example. What example did Jesus leave for us? Paul put it best in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be made rich. He came and He gave it all. So as followers of our Master, if we are to walk as He walked, we have to give it all. Is there an altar of contradiction? Is there a pet in your life that is contrary to consecration? What is that thing? I'm here to tell you. There is a religion of convenience very prominent today. And there will be people in hell that never dreamed that they would be in hell. Which is why Jesus shared the parable. All who say, Lord, Lord, everybody that knocks when the door is shut. Oh, it's too late. There will be a lot of religious people in hell. There's a religious road to hell. Jesus said that broad way that leads to destruction. Don't, don't, don't be so naive to believe that there's not a religious road to hell. But I've come to tell you the example that Christ set before us is the same example He expects us to perform. The song says He didn't bring an army to help Him on His way. He didn't bring an angel to praise Him night and day. He didn't one piece of gold. He didn't have one piece of gold to buy some food to eat. Instead, He turned and lay it all at His Father's feet. He left it all to rescue me. He left it all to die on Calvary. He left it all. Not one comfort did He bring. Not His robe. Not His crown. Nor 10,000 bowing down. Not one piece of jasper wall. Jesus left it all. 
he forsook convenience and self-preservation. And he said, my father loves me because I laid down my life for the sheep. The relationship he had with the father had everything to do with how much he sacrificed. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, amen, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. He gave it all. He had to borrow a manger because he had no beginning. He had to borrow a boat because he had no possession. He had to borrow a penny because he had no earthly wealth. He had to borrow a cross because he had no sin. He had to borrow a tomb because he had no ending. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. Our sin is paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. The creditor has been satisfied. The cost has been met. All you've got to do is follow through. I wonder today at this fellowship meeting, right now in this very moment are you prepared to leave the altar that Jeroboam set up that has yet to be slaughtered are you prepared to leave he had he had it in two places two golden calves probably made much after the same material that the the seraphims were made from and instead of putting them together to risk the possibility of a Hebrew saying where's the ark he separated them, one in Bethel and one in Dan, so that way that you're never too far from convenience to stay away from God. Self-preservation is the enemy of God working in your life. Such a challenging message that was shared by Reverend Coward. I pray that this preached word will be a means of encouragement and a help to each listener that hears it. If you would like to contact us, you can do so by emailing preachthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.